Well, good afternoon, everybody. Okay, okay. It's so good to be with you again. Worshiping here is like, it's like jumping onto a wave when you're, I don't surf. So I'm already making stuff up. It's like jumping into a wave and surfing. It's so amazing, the power in this room. You could just sing and go home every week. Just sing, go home, blessed. But unfortunately, you got to hear me for a few minutes. Oh, and witness amazing baptisms. Congrats, Chloe, and to your family, too. Yeah. My wife and I, my wife who is joining us for this service, so I'm going to have to be really careful what I say this time. The first two services I didn't have to because she wasn't here. My wife and I celebrated 25 years of marriage this year, February. That was a tepid applause, but we receive your congratulations anyway, humbly. Um, it is hard work to make it to 25 years. She's doing some work, working on herself. And when... <laughs> I'm just kidding, baby. So we decided to, to celebrate this way. The series is wisdom. See if this is wise, what we decided to do. We decided to celebrate with two friends, uh, two couples who are friends of ours. They have been lifelong friends. Our weddings were about two months apart from each other, so we did our weddings together. You know that thing when you're young, and Shell grew up with a couple of those people. I joined the whole gang later, and we've been friends for 25 years. We're all having our 25th anniversary. We decided to celebrate in Park City, Utah, skiing. All right. We had a, amen, yes, I hear you. This does not end well, but okay, awesome. On day two of our great vacation skiing, we came up to a sign we had seen before, and the sign looked a little bit like this. Now, something like this, just like this, and a whole bunch of other signs listing all the reasons why you should not ski that area. Now, only if you're an expert. Uh, we are like once a year, once every two years kind of skiers. I don't even know what size of ski I should wear. I fake it. You know, when I'm in the store and they go, you were like 165s or 175s, I'm like, 167.5, do you have those? <laughs> no, then give me the 170s. That's my way of telling them I know a little bit, but not enough to really know what I'm doing. The two friends of mine, um, wise, no. <laughs> knowledgeable, yes, we'll get to that in a moment. Both physicians, they've accumulated a whole lot of knowledge. They're experts in the medicine they practice. Wise, no. They both said, Sammy, let's go, let's go do this. The ladies said, we have nothing to prove. Those are actually verbatim. Those are the words they actually said. We have nothing to prove. Um, the men, now flooded with testosterones in our bodies and thinking we're still 18 years old and our reaction time was really still great, we said, yeah, we're doing this. Let's go, guys. Um, the ladies skied down the sensible part of the mountain. We decided to go off in this direction. We had all the knowledge we needed. We had the signs, the warnings. We had the wisdom of people next to us telling us, don't do this, but still... We chose to go down that section. Are you with me? Next time I come and preach here, I'll tell you how this turned out. For now, I'm going to get to the text we're exploring today. I'm joking. I'll tell you at the end. The series is Becoming Wise. 
And as I've already told you, wisdom is more than knowledge. It is the right application of knowledge. When we read the Bible, we find wisdom primarily as the ability to make right, helpful, good decisions. It is primarily, wisdom is primarily the tool that God gives us to make good, life-producing, shalom kind of producing decisions. The ability to discern what is noble, constructive, God-honoring, so that we can actually live life on this planet the way God designed us to live on this planet. Wisdom is always inviting us to accumulate more wisdom because wisdom is cumulative. The result of good decision-making leads to more good decision-making. If you've made a good decision, you'll continue to make good decisions. It's cumulative. Now, when I say the word cumulative, those of you who are in school, you only think one thing, and that is GPA. When I was, when I was working as a chaplain at a university, we would reach, um, some students would reach fourth year of their time at La Sierra, and that's when they would decide to get serious about their GPA. And it was tough to tell them, uh, it, it's, la it's late. It may not be too late, but it's close to being too late. Have you thought about starting fresh somewhere, just showing up and not having transcripts sent? <laughs> we understand the cumulative effect of all kinds of things. We understand the cumulative effects of, of managing finances well. We understand the cumulative effects of friendships and relationships we invest in. We understand the cumulative effects of working out. You can't have a body like mine unless you've actually devoted yourself to it. <laughs> Am I standing wrong? Is that why you're laughing? Does it look better if I stand like this? <laughs> so my, so my wife and I have been going to the beach a lot this summer. Back in July, I did a couple push-ups. I was like, I'm ready. <laughs> beach bot ready, baby. Look at it. What, you want to see them dance? Well, flex so you can, there's nothing dancing. <laughs> Wisdom is cumulative. The more, the more we accumulate, the more we have. And so here's what thing, here's what wisdom is not. Wisdom is not primarily about our IQ. Wisdom, as I've already said, is not about information. This is all review, things that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Wisdom is not about charisma or talent or brain power or your SAT scores or whatever diploma you graduated with. Just, just because you have knowledge, just because you have skill or some technical skill doesn't mean that, that you have wisdom. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge, good decision-making. Proverbs also speaks about a kind of person. Proverbs calls them a fool. Now, I know we've all been told don't use that word against people, but Proverbs does. Proverbs says a fool is not a person that is stupid or low IQ or, or dumb. It's not, it is, it's not a person that is ignorant. It's actually a person who behaves foolishly, Proverbs says, is actually in rebelling against the way God designed the world to function. So, Foolishness is primarily an issue of the, of the will, not an issue of the mind. We have the knowledge. It's an issue of the will, not the mind. If you behave foolishly, it's because you're, you have an issue of your will, not your mind. So foolishness leads to all kinds of problems that we don't, find out, we don't want to find ourselves in. So, so what Proverbs tells us is don't be a fool. Behave this way. 
If you act foolishly, you, you had the information you needed, but because your willpower was so poor or your decision-making was so bad, you chose a path that led you to destruction, death, pain. Here's what Proverbs says. Be wise. I want to I spend some time with you in, in chapter 3. Um, this is what Pastor Tim assigned me, by the way. So I'm going to go through the text that he assigned me. And I love it. Chapter 3, verse 1. My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. Now, the minute this verse begins with my child, I know some of you who are parents immediately think like a parent, and you should. This is a parental warning, a parental advice, parental proverb. My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. This person is telling their child, your, the things I have taught you need to be more than just written on a piece of paper that you can reference. They need to be more than just instructions to keep handy in case you don't know how to behave in a certain situation. They need to be implanted in your heart, in your character. Why? Because God's primary will for our life is not the things that we do. God does not primarily want to somehow guide us through every single thing that we do every day. It's the persons we are to become. God wants us to be specific kinds of people. And it's the same thing that's happening in this day. God is saying, and this parent is saying, implant these things in your heart. These commandments need to be deep, buried in your heart, so that when you come up to a decision you have to make, you make the right decision, a wise decision, because it was already in your character to do so. You don't have to go reference something. You don't have to ask. You don't have to look around. You don't have to pray for direction. You already know. Bury just deep in your heart these commandments, and you'll know how to act in the world. Now, if you're a parent, I mean, you know, um, if you were a child of a parent, which is all of us, let me begin with you parents, um, we would love, we parents, to tell our children how to dress, what classes to take, when to study, when to turn the internet off or social media off so they can get to bed at a decent hour, who to hang out with, who to date, hello somebody, who to marry, when to take us into their home when we're old and infirm and need to someone to take care of us. I mean, what is the, the answer to that is most definitely we'd love to do that, but that's not actually, you know, we're not producing the kind of person we want to produce. We actually... We want to actually teach our young to do all these things so that eventually we're not the ones giving them those instructions every day. And the same thing's happening here. God is saying, I don't want to guide you every single moment or every day. I want to actually teach you to be a specific kind of person in the world so you can actually make these decisions wisely. Bury these things deep in your heart. When I was working um, as a chaplain, you know, I'm going to say a couple of things today. I see a bunch of you who are my students. I'm going to talk about people, so there you go. I'm going to just say things. Now that I don't work there, I feel free to talk about people. I won't say names. Don't worry. A, a couple came to my office and said, hey, we've been, um, we've been flipping a coin trying to decide if we should date or not. <laughs> but we pray about it. So we pray and we say, God, please guide us in whether we should be together or not. And then we flip this coin. And if it comes back heads, we stay together. And if not, we break up. So what I've been going on is that they've been flipping this coin for two years. And eventually they had flipped the coin to decide whether they should be married. They prayed. I said, God, do you want us together? Speak through the coin. They flip the coin. Comes back heads. We're like, all right, awesome. Anyway, they've been flipping this coin for two years. I maybe wonder if the coin was rigged. 
they came to my office because the woman in the relationship, um, about a month before the wedding, decided, I don't, she came too. She, she awoke to wisdom. She decided, hey, hang on. I don't think we're good together. I think there's a lot of problems um, with our families, you, your character, whatever. Um, flip the coin again. <laughs> so, you know, he hesitated, but okay, I'll flip the coin. So he, he flipped the coin, it came back tails. So she said, good, it's done. <laughs> he said, no, no, best out of three. I, can't, I mean, I'm not kidding. This is actually happening. I'm actually looking for cameras in my office wondering, someone, is this, a, am I on a show? Is this a joke? Is this real? It's real. It's real. So he said, let's go talk to Pastor Sam. He'll help us sort this out. So here I'm trying to help them sort this out. The whole thing sounded so ridiculous. Why? Because that's not how you make decisions. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, you do. The Bible is full of all kinds of examples of people, you know, casting laws, and this is how they decided what God's will was. Yeah, but more often, you can pick out three or four examples of that, but more often, what God is doing is saying, I've given you wisdom, you make a good decision. Bury these commandments deep in your heart so you can actually make good decisions. God is primarily in the character-forming business not in the circumstance-shaping business. What we would like is for God to shape every circumstance so we can navigate it perfectly. But what God is actually doing is shaping our character. This is why we spend week after week coming here, listening to Pastor Tim and others explain Scripture to us. We're being formed into the character so that when we face these decisions, we just know instinctively, don't go past the sign that says experts only. Don't flip a coin. You're, you know better than... If this person's not a good match, then you don't have to keep flipping a coin. To, let's go on. Verse 2. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. I love this. If you do this, you will, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. This is an incentive to live this kind of life, this kind of life, this kind of wise life. There's peace, health, longevity, it is an incentive to live this way. Now, here's the problem with this, with this text is that sometimes we take this text and we turn it into somehow like a requirement upon God to give us what he has promised us, which is prosperity, wealth, and health because we're behaving this way. And that does, does not appear in Scripture. The prosperity gospel is anti-Scripture. I don't find anywhere in my Bible, and I challenge you to find somewhere in your Bible where God says, if you choose to follow me, your life is always going to be awesome. You're never going to have diseases. You're never going to suffer. You're always going to be happy. People are always going to like you. Uh, you're going to be wealthy, healthy. What else? That is, that is a prosperity gospel that we don't find in Scripture. What we find is God saying, if you behave in the way I designed this world to function and your life to function, your relationships to function, you're going to find meaning, joy, satisfaction, fulfillment. All those things will be yours. And here's, here's what else he says. There'll be peace, and there'll be health, and you'll live a long time. Now, here's how one commentary put it. I'm actually going to read you this. And there's, because there's a difference between prosperity gospel and this. A part of what God seems to be saying is if you pursue wisdom, many other aspects of well-being generally will follow. 
financial well-being because people of wisdom work hard and save well and give generously. And they don't usually get trapped into debt. If you pursue wisdom, physical well-being follows long life because wise people do things like eat well and exercise and they go to the doctor and they don't eat fire hot Cheetos <laughs> or Chick-fil-A or whatever your weakness is or donuts or in and out <laughs> or in and out <laughs> but hey those Burger King has those impossible burgers now they're delicious probably not great for you but they're delicious if you pursue wisdom you will also have a good reputation because wise people make choices of integrity and they tend to do the right thing and they tend to tear pe treat people fairly now, we tend to be drawn to people like that this is why you'll have a good reputation if you pursue wisdom you will have success and effectiveness in your work because wise people learn to use their time well and are serious about their gifts and try to hone them and to keep learning and growing and all this is part of what wisdom does in our lives and incentives to live that way but it's not a prosperity gospel God is not a machine we don't push a button or pull a lever or a rope and then God is obligated to somehow bless us because we behave a certain way verse 3 never let loyalty and kindness leave you Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. I love this because what, the, what, the, what Solomon's saying is tie them around your neck. Loyalty and kindness. Yes, you can externalize. You can actually have an external symbol of your devotion and what you want to remember. But don't forget to write them deep within your heart. Again, reminding this reader and you and I, it doesn't matter what you put around your neck. It doesn't matter how you external. What really matters is that it's deep in your heart. Remember when Jesus says, it's not what you eat that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your heart that makes you righteous. This last week, so my bride of 25 years and I got into a little squabble. Is squabble a good word? Altercation, heated debate, conversation, et cetera, et cetera. I told her she has some problems. <laughs> I need a ride home. I know what's going to happen. Later tonight, she'll be like, let's talk about decision-making, Sam. I'll try to listen from the couch while I'll be sleeping. I can't hear it. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm so scared. Um, so <laughs> what happened is that I used a device given to us by every car designer, a horn. I had been stopped behind a person who clearly had seen the light turn green and had been green for a long time, at least a second. <laughs> so I honked you know, in the most gentle possible Jesus loves you way. <laughs> I have a great idea. I told the 1030 this. Why, I'm going to get a sticker that says honk if you love Jesus. And I'm, gonna keep, I'm just going to honk. Nah, 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 nah. It's going to mean I love Jesus and uh, also move, move. <laughs> and because I did this, this turned into a Samuel. That's not exactly how she sounds, but that's how I hear it. Samuel, what if that person knew you were a pastor? 
don't appreciate the judgment in your tone. And um, also, here's exactly why I don't put anything on my car <laughs> that in any way would identify me as a pastor, Christian, affiliated with anything. I just, it's blank. I'm, I blend in. This is exactly why. This is why I'll never put, although you're my family now, I'll never put a CW sticker on my car. Because I want to behave the way. <laughs> no lovable stickers on my car. And for those of you who are great Adventists, by the way, I believe in the Sabbath, yes, but I'll never put one of those, the Sabbath is the seventh day, seventh day the truth, nah, forget that stuff. I want to I be able to behave however I want to behave. I don't want to hang anything around my neck that somehow identifies me with how I'm supposed to be behaving. You hear, you hear my voice, you hear my, I'm confessing this to you. Why? Because it's our nature. We want to wear something, but representing it is different. Like, behaving in such a way is different. What the, what the proverb says is never let your loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder, yes. But more importantly, write them deep within your heart so that it's an instinct. You behave that way. Then you will find favor with God and people. And you will earn a good reputation. That order will always be that way. God, people, and then you have a good reputation. When we reverse this is when we get into trouble. We want a reputation before we love people and we serve God, before we're loyal to God. So it's serve God, be loyal to God, and love people. And you're going to have a great reputation. And finally, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know this one. Some of our favorite, this is our favorite text in Scripture. One, if we had a list of the top five texts, this is it. You probably didn't even know it was in Proverbs, some of you. You're probably just today finding this item in you, the most, the most important thing you learned today. This text is in Proverbs, yes. Some of you grew up with it. It was stitched on pillows, and it was on walls, and maybe you, maybe you had a painting with it on, or maybe you've seen memes with it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Trust in the Lord. Live your life so surrendered. The Hebrew word actually gives us a mental picture of, of trusting as laying down and fully depending on God. Trust God that way. Not kind of, not sort of, but completely. Trust God completely. And when it comes to paths, God, you're going to know which path to take. Depend on God this way. So, my, so we went past this sign. You want to hear the rest of this? Here's what happened. Um, well, show them, Jay, what happened next. <laughs> I actually thought of not sharing too many details, but since this is really a medical community, I probably should tell you, right? Probably many of you work in the emergency department, and maybe some of you are nurses, x-ray techs. What else did I have? Doctors, yes. Um, pharmacists. <laughs> I had the whole thing. Everyone had to take care of me. First, if you're a ski enthusiast, I had to be rescued from the mountain with ropes and everything. It was pretty dramatic. Once I got past the, the panic of maybe, hey, I'm not going to die, um, I was able to appreciate that these people were really skilled at their work. So when they lowered me down, they took me to the hospital. You know, A couple hours later, I'm laying in, my, in a bed. In my, they had to admit me because a lung had collapsed, and I had a 
um, six broken ribs. Uh, the broken ribs were comminuted, I think I've been saying it correctly, which means that they were shattered in several places. As one person put it, are you, it's, it was uncomfortable, to say the least. A couple hours later, once I'm actually calmed down, um, a ex, a, it was a transportation technologist came to get me to take me to some other imaging situation that needed to take a look inside of me or whatever. He arrives, puts me in this wheelchair, He's taking me down these halls. It's, pretty, it's freezing, either that or I'm just, you know, still in the shock. He says, hey, man, are you okay, man? I'm like, I'm, I'm just really cold. And so he goes to this contraption that I'm going to call equal to one of the greatest inventions of all time, including sliced bread and the wheel, mathematics, the space travel. It's an oven where they put blankets to warm them up. It's like a, like a blanket oven. It's fantastic. You, you know about this. Most of you know. I'm, okay, it was new to me. <laughs> he takes three or four of these blankets and puts them on me. And I'm telling you, that was a, one of the sweetest, most wonderful feelings I have ever experienced. <laughs> it was amazing. And yeah, just this is a soundtrack to this. <laughs> Can you give me like a, like a warm blanket sort of sound? <laughs> that makes him all feel the, how, I, I asked this man, why, that, this is so great, why are you so awesome? Maybe the drugs were affecting me a little, why is that awesome? He goes, ah, uh, oh, bro, I'm just, you know, like my friend Bono says. <laughs> I'm just trying to rip a little corner off the darkness. And Bono actually said that, I Googled it later. Oh, the friend, yeah, yeah, sure, I call these artists my friends, too. They're always in my head, in my ears. I listen, so I get what you're saying. I hope, I guess. I don't know if you're friends with Bono, but you know, rip a little corner off the darkness, off whatever darkness you're going through. Yeah, you did. It's amazing. He's taking me back to my room, and during that ride, I'm beginning to feel the full weight of my foolish decision. It was foolish. I'm feeling stupid. Like, why did I do that? Why did I trust those two? They're my, they're my good buddies. They felt terrible. I tell this man, I feel so stupid. And he said, no, no. You weren't stupid, you were foolish. There's a difference. Remember, it's a, an act of the will, not the mind. You knew not to go past that sign. He said, most people that come to this place from the mountain were being foolish. They knew. And you will recover. You're going to be okay. You're lucky. You're going to be okay. I want to close with this thought. And I want to say this to you because sometimes we find ourselves feeling like, man, this decision I made that led to, led to this disaster I'm in right now, <laughs> so I told at 10.30, this is not healthy, but the first thought I went through my mind when I hit that tree was, oh no, I can't preach this weekend. <laughs> it should have been, can I breathe? <laughs> Am I going to live? 
But then I, I got the, this flood, this cascade of regret. Like, why did I not listen? Why did I say yes? Why did I go past that? You know, often we're going to find ourselves living the consequences of unwise decisions, not great decisions. And, and what I fear is that sometimes we sit through these sermons about wise decisions and relationships and marriage. You know, and, and some of us are suffering or living through the consequences of of the marriage we blew up or the relationship we tanked or the I haven't spoken to my kid in years or a relationship I can't fix and it's my fault or I made a mistake and it was an, it was an integrity problem and everyone knows and, and this person is just reminding me, yeah, you were unwise. Here's, here's the word I want to leave you with. Yeah, we need to be wise. Yeah, we need to practice it. Yes. We need to teach it to our young. We need to train ourselves over and over again so it's instinctive, buried in our hearts. But we are not saved by our wisdom or the quality of our wise decisions. We're saved by the grace of God. I'm glad you say amen to that crosswalk. Because the grace of God is never in question. And you and I have never made a decision that is so bad that God somehow cannot redeem us. I love this, the, the gospels. At the end of Jesus' life, Jesus is hanging on the cross. What is Jesus doing at the end of his ministry, hanging on the cross, suffering on the cross? He's talking to a thief who's been making really unwise decisions that have led to all kinds of pain and suffering, and now he's hanging on the cross, dying next to Jesus. And this thief decides at that moment to say, Jesus, if you could remember me when you come into your kingdom, would you please? And what does Jesus say? Nah. Lifetime of unwise decisions live with your consequences. No, he says, I tell you today you'll be with me in paradise. This I think this is why we gather like this over and over again, because we're learning to be specific kinds of people in the world, but we also know we're learning the rhythms and the truth of grace, which is that God's reckless love will always say this to us. Today, 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 this decision today is the one that matters, not the ones of the past. This decision today. I want to pray for you as we close. And as, I, as I prepare to pray for, for all of us, I want to say that some of us are probably wondering, how do, you get, how do you get this wisdom? I hear you talk about that, and I've already addressed some of you who feel guilty when we talk about wisdom because you feel like there's one decision you've made that was irredeemable or irrevocable, and that's never the case. We're never far from the grace of God. And our salvation is never in question because we made some unwise decision. Everything is redeemable. Praise be to God for that. But there's also some of us who go, I want that, I want that. It sounds difficult. You talked for half an hour. I still don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't know how to do it. Just say, well, here's what James said. If any of you lacks wisdom, just ask for it. What did Solomon do? He just he asked for wisdom. And God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, he will give it to you. It sounds to me like James telling us it's God's pleasure to give us wisdom. Just ask. You need wisdom today? 
Do you need wisdom today? Are you facing some challenge that, that you know you need wisdom for? Are you feeling like a dead end, like there's a, a relationship that just is just not working? Are you feeling like you're going home to a marriage that you're going through a season that's difficult, you need, you need wisdom at work? At school, as it starts, for some of you, you need wisdom. Are you stressed out about that? Do you need wisdom because you've got some fork in the road? you need wisdom because you're in a relationship and you're trying to figure out what comes next or what happens next? Do you need wisdom? Just ask for it. Would you stand with me? I want to pray. And when I'm done praying, we're going to sing a song to close, a song about God's reckless love. Would you stand with me as we pray for wisdom, that God will give us wisdom. Lord God, on this beautiful afternoon, and people gathered about to give things, to sing truth, sing testimony about your love and how reckless it is and how it pursues us and puts us back together when we are a wreck. I give you thanks for your love and your care and for your instruction through the book of Proverbs. May it, may it burrow deep in our hearts that we may instinctively behave the way you want us to in this world. Oh, but God, this, this afternoon I pray for the person in this room that is asking for wisdom. And the kind of wisdom that can only come from you, God. And we open ourselves to that and we trust that you will provide it as you promised. In Jesus' name, amen.